Good morning. It is very good to be back with you this morning. Um, it was about almost exactly one year ago that we had just returned from Thailand uh, to the U.S. for our furlough, and I had preached. And at that time, I <clears throat> mentioned that we were excited to be involved more regularly with you and, and, and a part of the church. And, well, it's a year, and we're back. Here we go. So it's not very regular, but um, our year was quite different from what we had expected in many ways. Um, but we are, are, are so grateful for you. We love this church. And as Sam uh, mentioned, um, we have s- some changes coming. We're going to be relocating back to the U.S. for in- indefinitely, continuing our ministry in South Asia from here. But um, the good news is that we get to try again. And hopefully this next year we'll get over here a little more regularly because we really do love you. And we really love being a part of you. So we just want to say thank you so much. Um, This morning, I'm excited to get to look at Acts chapter 13 with you um, as we look at the call and the commission of Barnabas and Saul. Um, It was great to also see the commissioning of the Bali team, and um, I think they probably were here last service, so they're not in here anymore, but but just so you know, that ministry of going to work with the kids, we've had two teams from Faith come for our conferences to do the same thing. And it is, they are, they will be everyone's favorite people. Let me tell you, they, people love the child care people when they come and love on the kids. It is so important and it is such an important ministry. So thank you to you, the church, for sending them um, because it really is important. And as we're going to see today too, it's, it's important to have this, this connection between those who go and those who send. And it's very significant and it's very important that we understand these call, this call is for, for all of us together. So that's what we're going to look at this morning. Um, Acts chapter 13 is really a pivot point in the book of Acts as we've been going through the sermon series. So beginning in chapter 13, the focus moves away from the church in Jerusalem to the church now in Antioch. Okay, It, it moves away from a monocultural Jewish background church which started in Jerusalem, and then now we're going to see it's going to be a very diverse church among the Gentiles. And also the focus shifts from Peter as the leader of the Jerusalem church to um, Paul, who is the apostle to the Gentiles. So this is a, a key moment in the book of Acts in terms of the structure of the book. And Luke did this very uh, purposefully, who, who wrote the book, and he did it to follow actually Jesus' original commission in, in one Uh, Chapter 1, verse 8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And if you've been paying attention at all in the last few weeks of this series, um, it's pretty obvious that the Holy Spirit has given power to these disciples and that God is, is on the move. I mean, the many times as I've listened to the messages, hearing God is the one who initiates and and God is acting here. And we've got to see the church in Jerusalem grow and and grow large. And then uh, in chapter 8, persecution came, and that caused the church then to scatter throughout Judea and Samaria, and they took the gospel with them. And so Jesus' commission was being fulfilled right there to go from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria. And now... Now Luke, and it's, to me it's a lot of fun because I love the overseas aspect, but now Luke is going to take us on the journey that brings the gospel 
to the ends of the earth. So that's where we're going to begin. Chapter 13, verse 1. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers. And Luke is going to give us a little insight into to who these prophets and teachers were. Barnabas, who we know is a Jew, originally from the, the church in Jerusalem. Simeon, who was called Niger, which means black or dark. And uh, although Simeon is a, a Jewish name, um, it's thought that he was maybe a convert to Ju- Judaism, maybe he was from Africa, but of a different race. Lucius of Cyrene, that's a Gentile name from North Africa. Manan, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, so he would have grown up actually probably in the palace with Herod. And then you also have Saul, another Jew. And why give us this list? I, I think part of it is to show, hey, we're heading into a new direction here. This very diverse group, Jews and Gentiles, we have different social economic backgrounds, different cultures, different races are coming together. And in this world today where everything is so divided, it is such a beautiful picture to see this very diverse leadership group come together in unity and in unity to worship the Lord and to fast. Let's take a look at verse 2. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Spirit spoke. We don't know if this was a particular issue they were praying about or if this was just a regular practice, but, but what we do know is that they were earnestly seeking God. They were fasting They were praying. They wanted to put themselves in a posture to say, Lord, we want to hear from you. And then God spoke. And I'm just going to pause for a second because we are too used to that phrase. God speaks. This is an amazing thing. Okay, most religions in the world, their gods do not speak to their people. God speaks to his people. This is, yeah, this is, We should get pretty excited about this. God speaks. And we see the Spirit speaking to these these men here, and we don't know how he did. We didn't know if maybe he did it through one of the prophets or or maybe a vision, as we've seen with uh, Cornelius and Peter, or or maybe an audible voice like he did with Saul. We, We don't know how it exactly happened, but we know that the Spirit spoke. The God of the universe spoke to them and continues to speak to us today. And this is what he said. Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Set apart these two men, two leaders in the church, for the work that I have for them. And we know that... uh, from the context of the rest of the passage, that the work was to go to leave the church in Antioch, to go out to places where Jesus had never been, uh, been, been mentioned, places where the good news had not been told. And what I think I want to just communicate is just to realize that as they're worshiping and fasting, seeking God, God speaks, and what he speaks and what he reveals about what is on his heart and mind is the lost. Did you catch that? God loves the lost. He loves those who have yet to believe in him, who have yet to hear about him, and it's on his heart and mind. And as they sought the Lord, that's what came out was this this concern and this love 
for the lost. He loves the lost. And isn't that good news? Because all of us have been lost and needed to be found. And he loves to find those who are lost. If you think about Jesus' own life, um, I think it's just fairly amazing that he spent so much time with, uh, with sinners and with those in society in particular in that day who were, who were so rejected. They were unsavable, the, the tax collectors and the prostitutes and the lepers and those people that society had pushed aside and said, there is no hope. And those were the people that Jesus ended up spending a lot of time with and eating with and um, spending time hanging out with. And we know that he didn't condone their sin because he would tell them, stop sinning. But isn't it amazing that God, the Holy One, sinless, that's who they wanted to be around. That's who those who were most desperately sinners wanted to spend time with. There's something there about God's love for the lost that, that is just so compelling that we want to be with him. Matthew 9 35 through 38 says this, and Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest fields. Jesus, when he saw the crowds, had compassion, this, this longing to see them cared for and protected and, and longing for them to know God's love and brought into his kingdom. That was his reaction when he saw the crowds. I was thinking this week about my reactions. And, and the first question being, do I even see the crowds? I think there's a lot of times where I just go about my day and I'm trying to get my things done and, and I don't even see the people around me. I don't see who is, is next to me in line at the store or at the coffee shop or even my neighbors. But when I do see them, what, what is my response? And oftentimes the crowds come with frustration or with apathy. And oftentimes, if I'm honest, I'm not nearly as good as Sam said. I, I, I don't respond well to the crowds. But Jesus has this compassion, this love for the crowds. He says, I want you to feel the same way. I want you to look, when you look at the crowds, at the people around you, the way that I see them. I want you to see them that way. And so he says to his disciples, okay, well, the harvest is plentiful. The workers are few, so pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers. And it's this weird command for prayer because he basically is saying, okay, I want to send out laborers into the harvest field, so I want you to ask me to do what I want so that I will do it. And it's this weird kind of mystery of prayer that we get to engage and participate in what he already wants to do. But more than that, I think it is to help us to align our hearts. Because as I pray for God to send out laborers into the harvest fields. As I, as I think about the villages in Nepal, up in the Himalayas, 
that our teams are trying to reach where no one has ever heard the name of Jesus. And I pray for laborers to go there. Well, my heart begins to swell with love for these people. I want them to know him. And it's as we engage in this prayer and we, we, we ask him to send out people into these places that our hearts begin to change and we begin to see the crowds in the way that he does. Can I just say it again? God loves the lost. He loves them. He is pursuing them. And he, he's calling us to join him in that. Well, moving to verse 3, we see the response of the church. Then after fasting and praying some more, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. And, and, and I love this because it's so beautiful. It's not just Barnabas and Saul saying yes to God, but it's, it's the whole church. The whole church coming and saying, yes, this, this is our ministry. This is what we are doing, and we are sending you out. Now, if you're sitting here this morning and thinking, wow, well, this, is, this is great, glad to hear this, but it doesn't really apply to me because I'm not called to go overseas, um, my first response would be, are, are you sure? I mean, maybe we need to fast and pray as a church and see whose names come up, right? I would love to see the elders do this for a week and then find out who gets a phone call, right? Hey, guess where you're going? Um, and we, I, you're, you're chuckling, but kind of serious. We would love to have you. Come join us. Come, come be a part. If there's any, any piece of you that thinks you might be interested, talk to us. Because God has used this church to send people out around the world. And he's still using this church to do that. And I believe he will continue to do that. So we just want to say welcome. We would love to have you come with us and join us in South Asia. Um, so anyway, that's just a little, a little side note there. But uh, we, we kind of laugh about the idea of someone maybe getting a phone call, but that was actually very, very uh, close to what happened to Ellen and I. Um, and if you, we have a picture here, um, that was from 28 years ago. People who tell you that you have not changed a bit are lying. That's, <laughs> that's the, the, the right there. Um, we were college students here at K-State. We got married, and we were part of this church and, and active in this church and felt God's call to go overseas um, after we had gone on a couple of short-term trips. We, came, we approached the church and the elders and the, the mission team, and, uh, and, and that's actually a picture of our commissioning there. That is Steve Ratliff on the end with the yellow tie. And um, that's a picture of you sending us out. And the interesting part of the story is that we thought we were going to go to Brazil where we had gone on our short-term trips. And God made it very clear. He closed that door. And we didn't know where to go. And we were serving in our organization's U.S. office. And um, all kinds of people coming through, all kinds of opportunities. I got excited. I, every week, we were going somewhere new. I was like, oh, we're going to go here, and then no, we're going to go here. And there was no clarity, and we didn't know what to do. So we actually, based on Acts 13, we got in touch with our church, you. And we asked the elders if they would be willing to fast and pray and then help us discern where God wanted us to go. And they said yes. Is that not amazing? That these people came together and fasted and prayed for us. And then we came up for a visit, and the elders took us out to lunch, and it was the, for some reason, this is so clear to me, it was the Chinese buffet on Fort Riley over there, and we're all at this big, long table, and all of a sudden, um, 
they're talking about what they sensed the Lord has heard. And just so you know, we had had some clarity. We had told the Lord we would go anywhere but Africa or India. Those were the two places that we said no to. And so we're sitting there, and the elders say, well, we want you to go to India. And we have a very specific city that we want you to go to in India. And we sat there, and I think they saw the hesitation. We weren't quite sure what to say. And um, Mark Duff, who was one of the elders at the time, looked, I can still see this, man. It was just like he just piercing his eyes, looked straight at me and said, well, why wouldn't you go? And they had just prayed and fasted for us, so I couldn't tell them that I struggled with the food. I mean, that was like the only thing that came to mind. That's not spiritual. I can't, I can't say that, which, by the way, we love the food now. It will be in heaven at the, at the, at the wedding feast, so get ready. But we sat there, and we're like, well, so we gave the only spiritual answer we could, which is we'll pray about it, and we did, and we prayed, and God answered. And God used this church to direct us very specifically to a specific city. We went and visited it. Um, there was another family, the Blisses, who were serving there, whom we, we, I mean, just became some of our dearest friends. And God used you to direct us to where we should go, a place that we didn't even want to go. But it was more than just that, the connection that we've had with you, this connection of, of ownership that you have owned our ministry and you have cared for us over the years. Um, this idea that, that you really are a part of what we're doing and that we are a part of you even when it's maybe years and we haven't been face to face. It's really true. There's something significant that God does with this. And, and we just wanna say thank you because there is no way we would be here still today without you. And, and I, I mean that with everything within me. There were so many times we wanted to give up. So many times we thought, well, maybe we heard God wrong. And then we'd have to think back, well, it wasn't just us. And there were a couple times where I talked to Steve Ratliff or one of the elders and said, now this is your fault, so you better take care of us. And you did. You have. And so we say thank you for sending well. There's a lot of other people out there. Their churches do not care for them. They do not send well. Thank you for sending well. Thank you for standing with us for so long, 28 years. Thank you. It's just incredibly humbling that you would still be with us after all these years. We just want to say thank you. And we also want to say thank you because you really are a church that wants to do hear the things we do there. And you have no idea how big of a deal that is. Steve Ratliff often says that, that he wants you, our sending church, to be the kind of church that does the same things here that we're doing over there. And so it doesn't really matter uh, regardless, it, it doesn't matter where we serve, where God calls us to. What I want to tell you this morning is that just like Barnabas and Saul, God has set aside each one of us, each one of you, for a particular work. How do I know that? Well, you're going to get a call. No, I'm just kidding. We're, you're not going to get a call. But how do I know that is that Jesus said in Acts 1.8, you will be my witnesses. And then he made it even more clear in Matthew 28, where he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. And this is for everyone. It's unfortunate that this verse has kind of been relegated to missions. This is, this is God's mission, not missions. 
And the word go is unfortunately translated in a way that sounds like we're supposed to leave one place to go to another. So we, we, we go from Manhattan to Wamigo or to Topeka or to South Asia. But that's not the actual, what it's trying to say. Jesus is actually saying, it's as you are going, wherever you are. The idea is that as you go about your life, so as you go to work, as you go to school, as you go shopping, as you go out to lunch with friends, as you go about your life, you're supposed to be his and make disciples all the time, everywhere, everybody. And what's really amazing is that God has put you in specific places with specific relationships that only you have. He has called you to a particular work, a particular group of people, a particular job. I don't live in your neighborhood. I can't be his witness there. I don't work in your job. You do. And so you have a particular work that God has called you to do. Now, I get pretty excited about this because I think if we can grasp this, this actually really changes everything. There's a great quote by Frederick Buechner that says this. The place God calls you to is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. Where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. That's where God calls you. Take just a second. Think about where God has called you right now. Your job, your neighborhood, your family, your friendships, now, in, in all of those things, there is gladness, but I think if we're honest, we're not necessarily finding our deepest gladness in all of those places. In fact, oftentimes there's a lot of pain in those places. But, but if we understand that all around us in those places, I mean, it's very easy to see the world's hunger, right? Their, their need for, for forgiveness and love and acceptance and justice there's there's hunger everywhere we go and if we can understand that that God has put us in these places to somehow meet some of that hunger then all of a sudden those places become a place of deep joy and gladness because all of a sudden those places have meaning all of a sudden, it's no longer about going to your job just to get a paycheck or going to school to get your good grades so you can get on to something else. Or, or it isn't just about doing the mundane things of life that we have to do. All of a sudden, everything is filled with meaning because God has said, guess what? You get to be my witnesses on mission with me to stay, take this good news to everyone because I love them. And all of a sudden, your life is, is meaningful. You want purpose in life? Jesus He's given it to you. Acts 1.8, go be my witnesses. All of a the sudden, these places in our life that we're called to, there is joy and deep gladness. Why? Because Jesus has given us an opportunity to meet the deep hunger of the world. It is a beautiful thing. And it will change the way you look at your life. Well, what... What's the result of all of this? Okay, we have someone up here who's very excited about God's call and that he believes all of you are called and you should go out and be witnesses, but I think Jesus said that, so I'm gonna be okay there. What's the result? If we really take seriously this call, 
And with ready hearts, we, we allow God's love for the lost to move us to obey, to go be his witnesses. What's the result? Well, we see it in the last part of the chapter. Uh, well, part, sorry, part from, from verse 4 through verse 12. And what we see is as we are willing to respond to God's call, we see that the lost indeed are saved. The lost indeed are saved. And we are all, if you know Jesus Christ, you are testimony of that fact. The lost can be saved. Looking at this, we're not going to read everything here, but Barnabas and Saul are sent out by the church and, and they go to the island of Cyprus. And they start on one end of the island and they, they work their way all the way across the island proclaiming God's word and end up in the Roman capital, Paphos. And, and there was a proconsul and he's kind of like the governor of the entire island. So he was over the entire island. And he summons Barnabas and Saul in to hear what they had to say. And while they're there, they're proclaiming the word of the Lord. And uh, there's this Jewish false prophet who was also a magician who was part of the proconsul's advisors. And he's listening to this and realizing, oh, this is, I'm going to lose my influence here. And he begins to oppose the teaching of the Lord. And then this is where we're going to pick it up with Paul's famous words here in verse 9. But Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at the false prophet and said, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness. He's, he's really, yeah, there's not a lot of tact here. Full of all deceit and villainy. Will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now, behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. And immediately, mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. And then the proconsul believed when he saw what had happened, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. The lost are saved. But it's interesting if you take a closer look how this actually happened because the story here of this false prophet and his being blinded is, is incredibly parallel to Saul's own conversion. On the road to Damascus, Paul was blinded. Even they were both opposing the word of the Lord. Both were trying to turn people away from the truth. Both were blinded, and even this, this, this exact phrase, both had to be led by the hand. And I wonder if there's not only judgment in this miracle, but hope. If there's not only condemnation, but love. And the hope that maybe this magician, this Elimus, might too, like Paul, turn and repent and be saved. And we don't know what happens to him. We don't know if he ever did. But we do know the proconsul believed. We do know that he heard the word of the Lord, was astonished by it, and then saw the power of God at work and said, this is it. This is what is true. And he followed Jesus. And I want us to be encouraged this morning because in every one of our stories, you can see God's power. Every single one of them. Now, it may not be as dramatic as, 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 as temporary blindness, but God's power is at work. Power to forgive sin. Power to heal relationships. 
power to overcome addictions, and, and power to love our enemies, power to be content in all circumstances. And for some of you, guess what? He has power for you to go out and be his witnesses. And it's when we begin to take Jesus and the truth of the gospel and we put that together with how God has broken through into our lives in power and we begin to share that, that is the witness. That is the witness that will help those who are still seeking say, ah, I see it. He's real. He's true. I can't wait. Honestly, I think this is going to be so much fun to be all together in heaven with you one day. And our great joy will be to introduce you to those lost who have been saved because you were willing to partner with God with us in South Asia. First person I want you to meet is Kulpana. She worked in our home, had an incredibly hard life, very poor. She worked in our home for like, I don't know, like six or more years and saw Jesus lived out in front of her very imperfectly, but then wanted to follow him and her husband wouldn't let her because they followed a Hindu god. It wasn't long after he said that that he had a stroke could no longer speak or work, and she became the head of the family, and she began to follow Jesus. And you're going to get to meet her, and you're going to get to meet her granddaughter and her daughter-in-law, and we have great, great hope that her husband will be there too as he softened his heart. You're going to get to meet Harish, who's a very quirky guy who found peace at the Catholic Church in the city that we lived in, uh, didn't know anything else about Jesus other than he knew that he found peace when he went to that church. And almost like a Cornelius, God brought him to our door. And we shared the truth of the gospel and he was immediately ready to accept. His story is yours. Do you not understand this? How important you are to the peoples of the world. Sanatan is another one. Very, very gentle, hardworking young man who saw the love of Christ through us, just caring for some injuries that he had, who decided that Jesus was true. And there's, there's others, and, and, and we trust and hope that there'll be many, many others that we'll get to introduce to you. But guess what? We're also excited for you to introduce your people to us. Because I believe that as we are here living our lives like this, there are gonna be many. It's gonna be like the best day ever to do this together in heaven, isn't it? And we are going to be excited to meet those that you have brought as well. Jesus said that the laborers, uh, sorry, that the, that the harvest is plentiful. He said there's not a problem with the harvest. He said the problem is we don't have enough laborers. The laborers are few. Let's not let that be said about our church. Let us go out and labor because it's going to be a great day in heaven together. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus. We, we are so glad to be here with you. And Father, we just recognize, um, we just need to say thank you because we, we ourselves were lost and you found us. We're so grateful that you love those who have rebelled against you, that you sent your son anyway. 
And I ask that you would change our hearts so that we would be able to see through your eyes the people around us and that we would have hearts filled with compassion and filled with boldness to tell them about the God who loves them so much. Lord, let us do this together as a church as we're called and commissioned to go out into the world. And Lord, may you receive great, great honor and glory. In Jesus' name.